stop the floodgates. Your uh, predecessors in their OLC opinions recognized that criminal liability would be unavoidably political. So a couple of responses. For one, of course, that was with respect to a sitting president. I think the analysis is, is extraordinarily different with respect to a former president, which, which OLC in that very same, I'm sorry. But not with respect to being necessarily political. Well, I think the, the, there is a political process which is impeachment, and we can talk about that, but there is a legal process which is decidedly not political, and that is a process which has the kinds of safeguards that a couple of, of members of the court here have already referred to. Uh, we're talking about prosecutors who follow, who are, you know, follow strict codes and uh, who are presumed to act with regularity, grand jurors, uh, Pettit jury eventually, and, and this court sort of standing, Article Three court standing above it. But I also want to push back a little bit against this idea of a floodgate, at least since the Watergate era 50 years ago, has there been widespread societal recognition, including by presidents and the executive branch, that a former president is subject to criminal prosecution. And Nixon was not about private conduct. Uh, Nixon was about, among other things, using the CIA to try to interfere with an FBI investigation. He then accepts a pardon, understanding that, that after having resigned, right? So again, I think that also undermines this impeachment first argument. Uh, after Nixon, we, we then see a series of independent and special prosecutors investigating a range of different types of conduct. You saw uh, independent counsel Lawrence Walsh in the Iran-Contra affair. That's an example that the defendant invokes in his reply brief. In chapter 27 of that report, the independent counsel assumes that President Reagan is, is subject to prosecution and says, but we don't, we didn't get there evidentiarily, right? There were not, not that there were, we thought there was some sort of immunity. Um, and that has continued through to the present. Uh, and so this notion that we're all of a sudden going to see a, a floodgate, I think the you know, again, the careful investigations in the, in the Clinton era uh, didn't result in any charges. The fact that this investigation did doesn't reflect that we are going to see a sea change of vindictive tit for tat uh, prosecutions in the future. I think it reflects the fundamentally unprecedented nature of the criminal charges here. Never before has there been allegations that a sitting president has with private individuals and using the levers of power sought to fundamentally subvert the democratic republic and the electoral system. Uh, and frankly, if that kind of fact pattern arises again, uh, I think it would be awfully scary if there weren't some sort of mechanism by which to reach that uh, in, criminally. In your brief, you raised um, some sort of lesser immunity potentially applying. Want to speak to that? Uh, I do. We don't think that's uh, uh, comes into to play here. I think the, the point was, in some sort of more challenging cases, uh, it might be that uh, where a president is operating under uh, extraordinary time pressure has to make a very difficult kind of national security type of, of decision. You know, do I go in and uh, commit this kind of, uh, do, we, do we order the, the drone strike under these circumstances? You know, a president will often have a cadre of lawyers to uh, advise him or her. The lawyers say, uh, Madam President, we'll get, we'll get you a memo in, in two months. That's not going to be enough in that situation. If there were a drone strike, civilians were killed, that theoretically could be subject to some sort of prosecution. Um, 
as, as murder, I think that might be the kind of place in which the court would properly recognize some kind of immunity. But that is, of course, nothing like what we've got here. Uh, I, I sort of take the former uh, officials brief discussing the vesting clause to talk about the kind of the nature of uh, charges when they focus on, again, subverting the electoral process. At a minimum, there's going to be there should be no type of immunity that covers that. So are you saying it should be a case by case balancing in each case, whether there's immunity or how how does this work as a legal standard? So so we think that it should just be as the district court held a finding. There is a balancing under Fitzgerald, right? That's our, our view. You start with this question. What are the burdens uh, against the presidency and what are the interests to be furthered? Uh, I think the answer to that question under Fitzgerald, uh, we think that the burdens that my friend talks about on the other side are, are overstated. I'm happy to just describe why. We think the uh, interest in the, the public's interest in on an ongoing criminal prosecution means that there should be an across-the-board rule that a former president is indeed subject to criminal prosecution. What I'm describing in response to Judge Child's questions is, in a particular case, might there be some extraordinary circumstance where a president, a former president, could invoke an immunity? Maybe. I don't think the court has to reach that there. I think the court could write an opinion that reserves and says, based on the nature of the allegations, which we take as true, uh, there is no reason to recognize that here. Uh, and so I don't think it needs to be a case-by-case -case analysis, but I think the court can reserve that type of question to the extent it gives one pause about a president in future situations. But Ian, can you answer uh, the question I posed earlier um, to your opposing counsel about are we to look at the broader question that was um, dealt with by Judge Chuckin with respect to presidential immunity, um, no criminal absolute immunity for no criminal prosecution of official acts versus looking at this indictment and accepting as true the allegations that it brought there? So we have a strong preference that the court adopts the former view and looks at the, the question in the, in the way of, as the district court did, which is to say, based on questions of separation of powers, of constitutional text, history, precedent, uh, is there, in fact, immunity for a former president? Uh, we think the answer to that is, is no, for, for, of course, all the reasons we put in the brief, and, and I'm happy to sort of address here. Um, Candidly, I think if the court gets to that second question, there are some hard questions about the nature of official acts. And frankly, as I think Judge Pan's hypothetical described, I mean, what kind of world are we living in if, as I understood my friend on the other side to say here, a president orders his SEAL team to assassinate a political rival and resigns, for example, before an impeachment? Not a criminal act. President sells a pardon, resigns, or is not impeached? Not a crime. I think that is extraordinarily frightening future, and that is the kind of we're talking about a balancing and a weighing of the of the interests. I think that should weigh extraordinarily heavily in the court's consideration. Let me ask you about the effect of blasting game. Does it? How does it either bind us? How is it persuasive for us? 
So uh, I think it, it, it formally has, has no application at all because, of course, very early on in the opinion, the court says we're not dealing with any questions of immunity in the criminal context. I, I tend to agree with my friend on the other side that in many respects, it does reinforce the nature of the Fitzgerald civil outer perimeter standard. It says uh, you don't look at intent or you don't look at purpose. Context plays a, a, a more important role than often the content of communications. I think the, the significant change, of course, is the acknowledgement of uh, the, the looking at a, a, a president, whether that president is acting in his or her role as office seeker or office holder. Um, but again, to go back to my response to Judge Childs's question, although that would change the nature of whether certain may change the nature of whether certain things are or are not official acts in the indictment, uh, we just think that's entirely the wrong paradigm to to use. We think under Fitzgerald, in fact, that would be inconsistent. Uh, with Fitzgerald's reasoning, and also just irreconcilable with the nature of how criminal law works. I mean, to say that we're not going to take account of uh, uh, motive or intent, uh, there are plenty of acts that, that, in, that every day. I mean, for example, if I um, were to encourage someone not to testify at trial because I wanted to go on a hike with that person, it's not a crime. If I were to encourage someone not to go on a hike because uh, their testimony at trial, sorry, encourage them to, to skip their trial testimony uh, because they were, their testimony was going to incriminate me. It's the same underlying act. And now when you map that on to the criminal, to the presidential context, you come up with some of the, the frightening hypotheticals where as long as something is plausibly official, uh, even if it involves uh, assassinating a prominent critic or a business rival, um, that, that, that would seem to then... Uh, be exempt uh, potentially from from criminal prosecution. We certainly wouldn't concede that if that's the world we need to live in. I think we would advance plenty of arguments below, but we really, uh, but, the, but those arguments themselves would create satellite litigation that are an additional reason not to go down this route. Greetings, Earthlings. This is Bunnell with the January 6th Insurrection Podcast. It is January 9th, 2024, U.S. Capitol, Washington, D.C. Today was the appeals trial at the uh, Prettyman Courthouse. Um, and to say the least, it was a shit show, a complete an utter shit show. Um, first of all, I mean, you cannot write the script. Uh, you know, typically Washington is pretty dry and, you know, the weather is pretty mild. But of course, today at ex approximately 8.15 a.m., the sky opened up. So it's pouring. And I'm like, Oh my God, how am I going to get to the courthouse? Because it's going to be a madhouse. So I scurry over there and the route that I typically take, which is I go down Third Street and uh, which is right by George uh, uh, Georgetown Law. And, you know, so it's all kind of in that vicinity, the capitals to the left and I mean, I couldn't even get past Third Street, and the police were everywhere. I mean, I've never seen anything like it before. And, 
it was out of control. So not only were there blockade blockades everywhere, okay, they wouldn't let you get through because everything was just guard. You know, there were gates everywhere. And I don't know when they did this. They must have did it last night or this morning because I was there yesterday and there was nothing, none of this was happening. And not only that, but it's pouring, raining, okay? And it's cold. So I'm like trying to get through the normal route. This cop stops me. She's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to the courthouse. She's like, well, you're not going this way. She's like, are you an employee? I'm like, yes. I, she's like, let me see your ID. I'm like, I don't have my ID because I don't, I'm not an employee. So I'm like, fuck. So I, so I had to, you know, uh, rethink my route. So I had to go like three blocks out of the way. Remember, it's pouring and it's cold. So finally, I made it to the back entrance because that was the only place that you could get in there's two entrances one on third street and then the other one in the back which is like right by pennsylvania avenue so you know i see a bunch of people standing there i'm like oh, okay i'm gonna go over there and i'm gonna see what's happening so i go get in line there's a bunch of uh, people in front of me they're you know they have umbrellas i don't have an umbrella it's pouring raining so we're all kind of standing outside waiting to get into the courthouse and you know shit is just going down everywhere you know you can hear sirens and police everywhere they're checking bags i mean there's security secret service i mean it's just absolutely insane and i'm like all of this because of that fucking traitor this is what we have to go through now remember i go there all the time and they pretty much are pretty cool with you when you go there i mean and and it's not like you're in the middle of nowhere. You're right across the street from the Capitol. The White House is to the right. The U.S. Capitol is to the left. And that's where the courthouse is. So and, and there are people just everywhere. People running because it's raining. Media is just tense. I mean, it's just nuts. So we're all standing in line. We're all standing in line for about 20 minutes in the rain. So I'm standing there sopping wet. And I'm just thinking, oh, great. I'm going to die of the flu because it's cold, it's windy, it's raining, and and they're making us all stand outside. So, you know, because everybody's got to go through metal detectors, so, you know, we're all waiting to get inside. And, of course, as soon as we, um, there are four females in front of me, there were lawyers that were there, and as soon as we got, I was, like, right behind them, as soon as we got to the front, they are like, uh, sorry, this gate is closed, and I'm like, what? is going on this is absolutely insane now you would think that knowing that the traitor is going to be there donald trump you would think that they would have set up something some sort of you know streamline it but i think they do it for security reasons so everybody starts running you know it's like you know everyone's and then they're throwing us out of the building they're like you gotta get out of here and there was a lady there she's like my heart <laughs> you know she's like i'm old and the security the asshole security guard pushed the lady out he's like you gotta go and then she's like oh i gotta you know my i gotta check my heart or whatever <laughs> and he pretty much threw her out and he didn't look at me. I was like, I'm going. Like, just calm down, killer. Like, you know, we're not the criminal here. The criminal is getting driven in the basement. And that's exactly how he got in. Because, and I had a little surprise for him. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to surprise him. I'll talk about that later. 
But, you know, they have an underground garage. So, you know, the trader and his entourage, they just, you know, the limousines just went in the basement. Now you have to remember, they don't do this for anyone. But because he's an ex-president, he gets the privileges of an ex-president, which means that they have to corner everything off, lock it down, which is absolute bullshit. Because they should make him walk in the rain like everybody else had to because they're there to watch him get hanged and we're all having to stand in the rain while he gets driven in a um, in a GMC blacked out, you know, uh, expedition going under um, the tunnel, which is just bullshit. And and. I was like, where is he going to make a speech because, and I don't know where they did it because they don't allow cameras in the building. Like they make you turn everything off. Nobody is, you know, there's nothing. So I don't know who was taking pictures of him, but it was a shit show. And so I was fortunate enough to run into the manager of security he escorted me in the building which i was shocked by he's like follow me i'll walk you in because the security guards were telling us everything is closed down you can't get in and i'm like fuck that shit i'm getting in so eventually i got it i was in overflow like i got put in overflow which i shouldn't even have went because like i said it was just a shit show i wish i would have stayed in bed today because it was rainy and cold but uh, let me get to the point um, of why we're all here. And I'm, I hope you enjoyed the recording from the trial because I isolated the last part of um, Mr. Pierce, who is Jack Smith's co-prosecutor, um, and I really thought that he did a, an excellent job. And his name is James Pierce. He's got a great voice. He's tall, handsome, and um, and is the uh, prosecuting attorney on Jack Smith's team. And of course, on the defendant side, Donald Trump's attorney, uh, John Sauer. Um, you know, he's just. I didn't. I didn't record his voice because it's so horrible. He sounds like, and you may hear him, but he sounds like he ate glass. He's ugly. He's got a big giant spot on his face, and he sounds like he ate a bunch of glass. But anyway, I don't want to listen to him, so I hope you listen to uh, James Pierce and the prosecuting's um, argument about why we were all there. And why we were there was the immunity argument. Does Donald Trump, the 45th president, have absolute immunity? And the answer is no, because he doesn't. And a large part of the argument um, is and, and was that he was performing his official acts while he was defrauding um, the nation as well as um, subverting the elect election. Okay, so that's why we were all there, because for some reason, the courts and the attorneys are have on the prosecution side, which is Trump's side, are having a hard time understanding that Trump's official acts didn't involve him being a criminal. 
okay? And that's really their argument. They're saying that he was performing his official acts while he was calling up Georgia, um, shaking them down for 11,780 votes or all the fake electors. You know, and I can go on and on. You know the story. But that's still their argument, that he was performing his official act. Everything else is smoke and mirrors. And, and that's why I don't really want to get that deep into it because it's a bunch of bullshit. He is trying to convince the American people that what he was doing was his official act, which is wrong. Just like Jack Smith says, he is wrong. He is wrong that he was performing his official acts while he was shaking down um, election officials, not to mention the Department of Justice trying to install, um, you know, a, a fake um, attorney general uh, and the rest of what was going on at the Department of Justice. And, you know, what makes me think about some of the arguments from James Pierce today, because the reason that I introduced with that recording from the court is he, they're saying a lot of things. And the things that they're saying have a pattern. And one of the patterns um, that I keep recognizing, not just in the um, in the argument, you know, the brief and the indictment, um, they keep saying the same things that uh, Trump, you know, and they keep calling them hypotheticals, like the the president cannot sell pardons, or the president can't. Um, you know, order his SEAL team to murder a political rival and that the president can't defraud the nation. Those are not um, within the color of office or his presidential duties, right? And they keep bringing it up because there's evidence that Giuliani, that vampire, was trying to sell pardons with old Jarhead Kushner and that there was a price on them. And that's another case that Giuliani is going to be tried for. So, of course, Trump was selling pardons. Of course he was, because he obviously was selling everything else. See, this is the unfortunate part about the president is that because there's unlimited power, a um, despot and a, uh, a person who is a psychopath will take advantage. And that's exactly what he did. And I love the way they have to reference our founding fathers like today. They brought up George Washington and what he was thinking at the time and Jefferson and Hamilton and, and the Federalist Papers. I talked about him in my last session. But to compare this game show host to any one of those um, soldiers is is a contradiction to what the president's um, oath actually is. And, and I really think that that is the, the, the main argument here is that I always say he's derelict of his duty because I'm looking at it from a military perspective. And I always said from the very beginning, listen to my very first podcast, I said he should be tried in a military court. Because in the military, we have something called the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And either you did it or you didn't. There's no such thing as color of office. Either you were corrupt or you're not corrupt. And, and then you are 
um, you're found guilty and you go to the brick, which is a jail, right? But in this civilian type of court, you know, they can take the Constitution and twist and turn it and, you know, try to say that um, he didn't raise his right hand to support the Constitution. He just said he would preserve it, right? So it's semantics and it's, it's a way for them to, you know, wiggle their squirmy, snake-like body out of a crime. Because John Loro, Trump's ambulance-chasing criminal attorney, who's an attorney that's a criminal, was doing it today with his glass, broken glass voice. It's unconscionable how they get up there and defend. You know, and I loved it today. One of the judges, there were three judges, uh, Judge Childs, Judge Henderson, and Judge Pan. Um, there were three female judges and... Um, they were no nonsense. It was down and dirty. It was quick, clean, and very different from the last appeals trial that I was at. This one, I think they tried to keep it um, tight because it was five minutes here, five minutes there, rebuttal, five minutes, five minutes, and it was done. Um, and I didn't even get a chance to see Trump. I, I don't even know if he was there. I, I have no idea. Because, I, like I said, I was in the overflow room, which is kind of like where they, um, they let the, you know, the, uh, the riffraff in. But I, I was just happy to be there. And it was packed, too. You know, everybody's got their own room. The media's got their room, um, you know, with monitors or whatever. And then the courtroom, I think it was just specifically, um, you know, people that were... Uh, on either side, the prosecution or the defendant side. I don't think they let just anybody in that room today because the courtrooms are not really that big. You know, it's, they're kind of small. It's like a church. Okay, so let's jump right into what Trump was saying. At the court, I missed it, so I got this from online. But he spoke to reporters, apparently, and he is saying that he did nothing wrong, and I quote, nothing wrong, and warning that the prosecution was a threat to democracy. See, this is the part of the snake oil salesman where he, the only reason he is there today or was there today was so that he can, you know, for his campaign um, stump speech, this is part of him still brainwashing his cult followers. That this That's part of it. Okay, so he goes on to say, and I quote, if it weren't me, that would be the end of this case. But sometimes they look at me differently than they look upon others, and it's very bad for our country. Trump insisted that his acts were part of his presidential responsibilities in fighting the election fraud, despite the lack of evidence, Trump went on to say. Meaning, see, like I said before, he, in his deluded psychopath uh, brain, thinks that he's going to convince the MAGA cult followers, that he was just looking out for election fraud, which is a fraud because there was none. He lost 60 plus cases in the courts. Um, everyone, um, everyone told him that the, there was no significant fraud in the election, but he didn't care, right? This is, wasn't just like, oh, you know, about January 6th. This is January 6th is part of this. But this was part of him defrauding the American people 
at the election. Remember, November 7th, that night, he went out and said, and I quote, we won this election. Quite frankly, we won. He didn't win. The votes weren't even counted yet. But because that was the conspiracy was for him to do everything in his power before, during, and after January 6th. And we forget that even on the evening of January 6th, after that fat bastard retired his big ass in the White House um, to retire, he uh, was still with Giuliani and the rest of his allies trying to get senators, if not House of Republicans, to continue the big lie. Even that evening, after the fury at the U.S. Capitol. Now, you're telling me that he was looking out for the best interest of, of the United States because he and him alone and his MAGA cult thought that there was fraud in the election? It's a fucking big lie. Always has been. But unfortunately, the legacy media is bought and paid for by the right-wing establishment and anyone else. See, they don't, you have to, people have to stop paying attention to them. And I don't even really, I don't watch any of that bullshit because it's all a bunch of propaganda. And I did an interview with um, some station yesterday. I can't remember who it was. It's a bunch of German people, but um, they were like, this wouldn't happen in Germany and we can't believe this is happening in America. I'm like, yeah, me neither. I can't believe it either, but unfortunately it is. I have to say that a sentiment in the court with the uh, three panel female judges is that the way they were questioning uh, John Loro, Trump's attorney, the, the defendant's attorney, um, they weren't having any of their bullshit because the way they were asking the questions to John Loro was, it was almost, um, I wouldn't say sarcastic, but I would say that they weren't having it. And, you know, the way they were questioning the immunity um, argument is they obviously read the Constitution, so they know that the president um, is not afforded absolute immunity because it's no such thing, um, and that they understood that as a defense, and I think that um, they weren't embracing it. Uh, they were not um, being sold that bridge by the defendant, uh, Donald Trump. Because it's not an argument. It's not a, uh, it's not truth. There's no um, precedent to it. They're, you know, they, they talked a lot about Richard Nixon and his pardon. And if he wasn't pardoned, he very well could have been convicted because what he did um, you know, had the CIA uh, do some dirty work for him. And the only reason that he was pardoned was because President Gerald Ford pardoned him. But the feeling and the sentiment in the court today was, well, if Nixon uh, wasn't convicted or if he wasn't pardoned, he very well would have been convicted because that's just the law, right? You and, you and me, we are brought up 
and raised to believe that no one is above the law to include the president. Why do we say that? Because it's a fact. That is how the fucking Constitution is written. So one of the judges, her name is Judge Pan, she asked, could a president be prosecuted for selling pardons or military secrets or by ordering the assassination of a political opponent? So once again, pattern. Um, this keeps coming up um, in documentation, uh, motions, briefs, not just from uh, the judges, but also from Jack Smith and his team. So you want to know about pattern and what Trump's dirty little secret secrets are? Why are the judges asking those kind of questions? Because they're on to this criminal, okay? Why would they ask him about pardons? Why would they ask him about military secrets? And why would they order him about ordering assassinations? See, that's why Trump is starting to melt, because they got the goods on him, dead to rights. And it's just a matter of time before they convict him and send his ass where he belongs, right? And and it's not that nobody doesn't like him. See, that's what a child or a immature uh, person would think, that I did something wrong, so you must not like me because you're now holding me accountable. Just think about the rationale of that. That was his statement today. They don't like him. The judges, the prosecutors don't like him. It's not that they don't like him. It's the fact that he is a criminal. He was the president of the United States. It is an actual job with responsibilities and duties. And duties that require to be the law to be followed and executed. And if you don't do them, then you're going to be held accountable. See, that's how that works. If you were a, a captain in the Navy and you were on your ship and you ordered somebody to um, go to the store and buy you some liquor and in the process, bad things happened. Guess what? As a captain of your boat, you're going to be held responsible because that is outside your official acts. You're supposed to be steering a ship. You're not supposed to be telling your staff to go buy you liquor or to go assassinate someone. And today, James Pierce, and he, the reason that I um, had that recording earlier, he said something very important. And I think that that's part of what I really want to talk about, which is, what would happen if a president was to, um, once again, this is why it keeps coming up. This is the, the, the prosecuting attorney, not the judge saying this. What would happen if a, a current president was to have their SEAL team order a hit on a political rival? Or if they were to, um, you know, have a drone strike and civilians were to be killed? What would happen in those instances? Well, if it's an official order and things go awry, then you're going to be held accountable for those official acts. But if it's if they're not your if it's not your responsibility or your duty to be doing that, right, 
a president can't call up the SEAL team and tell them to order a hit. He could, right? As a president, a president could get on the phone, call up the SEAL team, and have anyone removed, deleted, okay? But what he can't do is have the SEAL team murder a political rival. See, there's the beauty of the difference. One is your duty as a president, and the other is a criminal as a president. And that is the argument that they're trying to sink into the thick skulls on the, um, on the MAGA cult side, is that they don't understand the difference. I don't know why they don't, but they don't. And I, and I always said, you know, they, they're in over their heads. And nobody begged Trump to become the president. He volunteered. So, you know, the first rule in the military, and to all my veterans out there, what's the first rule? Don't volunteer for anything. <laughs> you, learned your, you learned your lesson. So now he's going to learn his lesson. He should never have put his name forward because he didn't have the skills nor the honor or the principle to be a president. And we're now having to deal with that outcome because he doesn't have the ability to comprehend the English language, but he also has the charisma to indoctrinate his cult followers to, to do what they do. It's a dangerous combination. And our founding fathers knew that. That's why there's something called the 14th Amendment, Section 3, because they knew that a, a leader or a president with no principles, okay, would, would do what Trump is doing now or do what he did. It's unfortunate, but that's kind of where we are. Okay. So... I don't know how much I want to talk about Sauer or John Sauer, but he responded based on that a question from Judge Pan. And she went on to say, you know, what would you do with a president that ordered an assassination or sold military secrets? And she says, I understand your position to be that a president is immune from criminal prosecution for any official act that he takes as president, even if that action is taken for an unlawful or unconstitutional purpose. Is that correct? Judge Pan asked John Sauer. And John Sauer responds that such a prosecution can only take place if the president is impeached and convicted by the Senate first. See, because that's part of their argument, the double jeopardy. They're saying He's saying, and that's Trump's defense, is, well, he was tried and impeached um, in the Senate for the insurrection, and now you can't hold him responsible for anything, which is bullshit, okay? Number one, just because he wasn't convicted doesn't give him a green light. He doesn't get a get-out-of-jail-free card because he wasn't convicted. That is a more of a political process than anything. And, and he continued his crime wave even after that. As a matter of fact, that day, he continued his crime wave. So what John Sorrow, Sauer and his defense team is saying that... What he did 
by subverting the election, um, trying to um, to get the Department of Justice and the military to seize voting machines and uh, fake electors and, you know, John Eastman and his um, suicide pact saying that Mike Pence had the constitutional right uh, to do what he was supposed to do on January 6th, right? Jan Think about it this way. January 6th was the, um, was the crescendo. It was the last stand, for the most part, of Trump's big lie. Because his big lie started, I, I'm out on a limb here saying it started in 2016 when he raised his right hand and apparently didn't um, take an oath to support the Constitution. That's dirty fucking lowdown uh, argument. And why would anybody who doesn't even support, defend um, the Constitution even want to be the president? Go, go be on the your game show. Like that is what your your skill set is for. You and your traveling circus family. And unfortunately, I was reminded about some of the things that his spawns. I'm not going to mention their name, uh, but the spawns of Trump, you know, they were up to no good too. So they need to start, the indictments need to start coming down on them, on them all. Because um, I love the way they try to say that Hunter Biden is the real criminal here. Hunter Biden um, is not a criminal. He may have done some shady things, but that's part of the, that's part of being a president's son. But what he wasn't do, what he wasn't doing, was um, conspiring um, with the Chinese government and getting trademarks on the on the on the down low, like Ivanka was. Okay, and not only that, but Ivanka's husband Jarhead Kushner bent over and let the king of Saudi Arabia fuck him in his ass. Okay, for two and a half billion dollars. That that happened. Okay. But see, that's part of the tail that wagged the dog, where they don't, you know, look over here while we are getting fucked up our ass by Saudi Arabia, and Hunter Biden is really the criminal here. Hunter Biden, I'm not even going to talk about it because it's irrelevant. It's insignificant, and there's no there there, like they like to say. You know, they make up these terms that make no sense to confuse you. See, and, and it's a brilliant strategy, and I always say it's diabolical because the Republican Party have been doing it for 40, 50 years now. And you want to know why America is going down the toilet, going down the shitter? is because they've been dismantling it to do exactly what is happening right now. And, and unfortunately, they almost succeeded. And they're still on tear. I mean, look at Mike Johnson, the, the lead attorney on the um, fake elector scheme um, and the defrauding of the election, he was the lead attorney on that. And he didn't even write that brief. Trump's lawyers did. I just found that out the other day. I, I was like, what? So Mike Johnson is a, um, a conspirator, co-conspirator, and a traitor, and a treasonous traitor at that. And it's unfortunate the way our government operates is that they're, they're there. They're all there. And then you have that, that psychopath, Stefanik, who's saying 
um, and being paid by Trump that the insurrectionists on January 6th are hostages, okay? See, they don't know how to comprehend the English language because if she understood the word hostages, she wouldn't define insurrectionists as hostages. And there's the rub. They're traitors, and they need to be removed based on the 14th Amendment, Section 3. But the only reason they're there is because Department of Justice is inundated with insurrectionists. <laughs> and I say President Biden needs to put his holster on and maybe wrap himself in the American flag, go down to Capitol Hill and start cracking skulls and getting rid of the traitors and throwing them out. Because as the way the Constitution, see, and that's a large part of it, is that they're trying to convince the American people that it doesn't apply to them. Because that's why their leader, Trump, wants to dismantle the Constitution so that they can continue to do what they do. But I'm sorry, but <laughs> they raise it the right hand. See, and none of that matters to them. That's the rub. And, and if that is the case, then they need to go. Go do something else. Go be on your podcast. Go work for some private industry somewhere else. Just get out of Washington because you don't belong. You don't deserve a seat at the table. And this is getting more heated because, because of that. Because they don't understand how to, um, to rationalize. It's really a, a, a perfect storm. But anyway, um, James Pierce, J uh, Jack Smith's prosecuting partner, attorney, this is what he said. Never before has there been allegations that a sitting president has with private individuals and using the levers of power sought to fundamentally subvert the Democratic Republic and the electoral system. I mean, it's unbelievable. And that's exactly what he did. And... And if you understand it from a duty, right, the presidential duties, responsibilities, policies, procedures, and the reason that people are up in arms is because never before has a president tried to subvert the election and defraud the nation. It's a, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot to swallow. And, and that's the sad part. Okay, so um, one of the judges says, when Washington was president, everything was strong. The Senate was strong. The House of uh, Representatives was strong. And that's the reason why the Constitution kind of was written the way it was, was because, the, you know, you have to think back 100, 200 years where they didn't write the Constitution thinking that their republic would be filled with a bunch of traitors, right? And insurrectionists. They never thought that. They never thought it would get that far because they all, you know, separation of powers. You have three different branches of power. They thought that one would, um, one would protect the other. But in this instance, that's why this is a perfect storm, is because the Senate, Mitch McConnell, Turtle Fuckface and his um, and his uh, allies, they did all this um, 
as a plot. So it's been in the works for quite some time. And the reason that it, it almost worked was because they've been concocting this for decades. And that's why the Supreme Court is stacked with the traitors that it is. That's why the House of Republicans is stacked with the traitors and liars and crooks that it is. That's why the Senate um, is stacked with liars and cheaters and traitors, because that's the way it was designed. See, and the founders never thought it would get that far, because they figure at some point the release valve would have went into play. But in this case, it didn't. So one of the things that James Pierce said was, what kind of world are we living in if a president is allowed to sell pardons, orders his SEAL team to assassinate a public a political rival, and then resigns before impeachment? Is that not a crime? And he goes on to say, this is a frightening future. And, and I would agree. And that they keep bringing that up for some reason, because you want to know why? Because that's probably what he did. The evidence is not out there yet. But it's everywhere in the different motions, different briefs. The judges are now saying it. Prosecutors are saying it. And I love that line. What kind of world are we living in where a president would do that and then try to get away with it? Well, first of all, it's not part of his presidential duty or his um, oath of office. And it doesn't fall within the color of office. It's not his responsibility. So one of the judges asked Pierce why he was not arguing that the appeals court cannot hear the appeal at this stage of the litigation, because Trump does not have the right to make the request before trial. If you remember, there was an amicus brief filed by a private organization saying that Trump shouldn't have um, appealed um, the appeal for the most part. And that it, it was an interlocutory and it should not have been presented to Judge Chutkin, but for some reason it was missed. And it's out of it's out of the circuit. It's not supposed to have happened. And the, one of the judges, Judge Pan, asked, why isn't Jack Smith um, using this as an argument to to release this appeal? Because this appeal shouldn't even be happening right now because of precedent and and. And James Pierce said it would not be the right analysis, even though it would benefit prosecutors in the short term. So James Pierce said, we know that it is improper for this interlocutory appeal to even be have been presented. So Chutkin shouldn't even have allowed this to go to appeal. And the judge, Judge Pan is saying, why didn't you, why didn't you fight it? Because because it's, it's correct. This interlocutory appeal shouldn't even be before us. And his, uh, his, um, his words, and I quote, it's not the right analysis, even though it would benefit the prosecutors in the short term. So this is basically him saying, we know we're right, the court knows we're right, but we don't wanna fight on these terms because it's kind of like, Somebody missed the ball and it got through and now we're here. We're all here because the, the um, traitor um, 
uh, brought it up for appeal when he shouldn't, and then the attorneys missed it, and it somehow got through, which happens a lot, I think. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. But um, apparently the judge brought it up, and, and I loved it. James Pierce was like, you know what? We don't want to win on that argument. We know it's, we know it's right. It's the right analysis, but we want to fight on, on our turf, right, on our, on our uh, rules. And we believe that we have a case against this trader that he um, doesn't have absolute immunity. And what he did on um, really through his entire presidency were not uh, constituted as official acts. And that really is the, the, the nut of everything that we went through today was he is saying that everything that he did on January 6th were his official acts, right? Well, if those were his official acts, what was his dereliction of duty when he sat for 187 minutes in the White House dining room while the Capitol was being burned down? Was that his official act? Because I would venture to say that he needs to now prove that he knew that there wasn't um, terrorists, not just domestic, but foreign terrorists that were trying to um, burn down our capital. And I, and, and I would love to know what, because they always bring up George Washington and Hamilton and all those guys, founders. Could you imagine George Washington being in the White House dining room and the Capitol is burning down? Do you think George Washington would have sat there and allowed it to happen? No. He wouldn't. Why? Because, um, because he has principle and he had honor. That's why he was a a, a soldier. And I, and I think that is the um, the biggest problem that we have today, and especially with the Republican Party mega cult now, um, is that they have no honor and they have no principle. And that's what George Washington brought to. The seat of the presidency was because he was a military man, right? He he knew what it was to sacrifice this for this nation, and what the Republican MAGA cult party has brought in for forty to fifty years is that that doesn't matter anymore, and that we're not a nation of principle, and we're not a, a nation of 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 honor, because because they're not. <laughs> That's the rub, which is really sad, because this—that's not what this nation is about. And I—and I—I really think that most Americans get it. You know, I mean, I—I th- I don't think that this nation is going to move forward with pissing on veterans' graves. I, I don't think that is who we are. I don't think that's who we ever were. But that's who the mega cult wants you to think that we are. Well, anyway. Um, that is the trial in a nutshell. I mean, who knows where it's going to land, but the feeling that I got from where I was was the judges weren't buying the snake oil that the slithering snake in the courtroom today was trying to sell, him and his glass-eating attorneys. Um, But anyway, I'm going to let you go. I've been going on for a while. Um, But everyone have a great day, and let's chat soon. I'm sure that 
the idiot is going to do something outlandish in the next hour, so we're going to have more uh, content. Anyone, everyone have a great day, and let's chat soon. Bye-bye.